You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. You may be seated, and as you're doing so, if you have a Bible with you or a device with a Bible on it, if you would turn to Matthew uh, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we are studying through the Lord's Prayer in these days. So we'll continue that today. Hey, I want to make a little announcement before we get going that, uh, that's a, an important announcement. It's one for you. Welcome. I'd like to welcome those of you watching online. And uh, if you're watching online with kids in particular, uh, you'll want to hear this announcement. Uh, the past few weeks, we've been filling up in here. Uh, there's a few seats available to, today if you like the front row. But beyond that, uh, there, there ain't a lot of seats here today. But we've, we've really filled up the past couple weeks. So we're going to go back to our usual two services. And uh, somebody cheered for that. Yeah. I don't think that was a member of the band or the ushers uh, who've enjoyed the single service. But uh, no, the band loves to be here all day. So anyway... So we're going to go to two services. That will begin on October 11th, which I think is three weeks from today, October 11th. And as, as our shift back to two services, we will be providing a full children's ministry for the first service. So that's, that's a good... Me- so we're going to see how it goes uh, and what the needs are. And so just as we've waited until we were filled here on Sunday morning to go to a second service, we're going to wait until children's ministry is officially, essentially filled before we provide that in a second service. So newborn through fifth grade, GK, uh, Grace Kids will be available starting in the first service on uh, October 11th. If you don't have little ones or elementary age kids, uh, we'd ask that you really consider maybe coming to the second service because you won't be, you know, uh, you won't be putting kids in uh, Grace Kids. So that'd be great if you came to the second service, if you'd be able to do that would be wonderful. Uh, I mean, we're not going to, you don't have to, you don't have to show a third grader as a pass to get into the meeting or something, but just so that we kind of can even out the services, that would be great. So anyway, that's really good news and there'll be more coming on that. But October 11th, two services, our, our usual non- 9 and 11 with kids provided, uh, Grace Kids, in the first service. Um, Okay, we are in the Lord's Prayer, and I've sort of set this little tradition of just reading down to the phrase that we're covering today uh, to show you that this isn't a prayer that has to be prayed in full. Jesus wasn't giving us a 25-second prayer to pray. He was giving us an outline of a prayer. And in each section, though you can pray it all at once, that's fine, but in each section he is communicating something to us that is important about prayer. So let's read verses 9 and 10 of Matthew 6. Listen, this is God's word. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray as we open God's word. God, as we listen to your word today, we pray that your name would be hallowed We pray that your reign would increase more and more in our lives and to those around us that are yet to meet you. And we pray that your will would occur in this moment, 
that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we talked about this being an outline, and we talked about how the first three requests, so there's six requests here, the first three requests have a laser focus on God, a laser focus on God. We, we said our theme for the year has been praying for change, and I wonder if your view of prayer is changing as we haven't even gotten to a personal request and we're four weeks in. Because the first three petitions are all about God. So we come to him as our heavenly father, recognizing that he is other, he is in heaven, he is other, he is transcendent, but he is also a father. He is near to us to care for us, to protect us, and to provide for us. And then we saw the first petition, which means request. The first request is, hallowed be your name. Lord, would your name be reverenced? In other words, Lord, would you be glorified through us. The second request we looked at last week was your kingdom come. Would your reign, the kingdom is the reign of God, would your reign increase more and more in our lives, in our church, and would it spread throughout the world to those who don't know you? May the gospel go forth and the kingdom be spread. Also, would you, we're crying out for your return. Would your kingdom come in its fullness at your return? And then today we are looking at the prayer, which is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, this request we're going to see is all about placing God's will above our own. The prayer starts with a concern for God's name, God's kingdom, and now we're going to see that prayer is about God's will. This is a profound lesson that the Lord's Prayer teaches us, that the first half is about making God's concerns our concerns. It's about making God's agenda our agenda as a church, as a people, and as individuals. That is the emphasis Jesus wants us to get, that when we come to prayer, we are in the first place not asking what we want God to do for us, but we're asking God to give us his heart. We are praying that his will be done. When we pray your will be done, what we're actually praying is God We're not here to sort of get you to our side. We're not here to manipulate you through some prayer technique. We're not here to get you to agree with us. We're here to get to your side. That's the purpose of prayer is that we get on God's side, not that we get God on our side. I heard an illustration many years ago, and it stuck with me. All these years, every now and then you hear a little story or a little picture, a little analogy. This is an analogy that stuck with me. It's an analogy about prayer. And it's this. Have you ever been on a a boat, maybe a small boat that's tied off to a dock? And as you know, the, the boat will, you know, sort of drift away from the dock. If you grab hold of the rope that ties to the dock and you pull on it, sort of the shore and the boat meet. That you can, you can pull, even, even a, a, a larger boat, you, an individual can pull. So as you pull, the shore or the dock and the boat meet. But it is the boat that is pulled to shore. It is not the shore that is pulled to the boat. Prayer is pulling the rope. Prayer is pulling the rope. And while we may think the purpose of prayer is to get it to us on the boat, it is ultimately to get us to the dock, to get us to the shore. 
that the shore is God's will. The purpose of prayer is not to pull God to me, it's the other way around. And aren't you thankful in that situation? Because the rocking, unstable boat is pulled to the place of security, the land which is not moving. It's not pulling the land out to sea. That's an unstable situation. When the land starts getting pulled out and crumbles into the sea, that's instability. When you're in the sea and you get pulled to the shore, which ain't going anywhere, that is stability. And that's what prayer is. If the general direction of prayer is to get us to God's side, your will and not mine, then what is God's will? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Scripture uses the term God's will uh, in two primary ways, at least two central ways in the Scripture. Sometimes theologians call this the secret will of God. Uh, the will of God's decrees, or even the sovereign will of God. One is the secret will of God. One is the revealed will of God. And I think these are very helpful ways to think about God's will, because I think in some ways both are in view here. God's secret will, or his sovereign will, concerns his plans that are not known to us. God has a will, your will be done. God has a will, which is his plans that we don't know about. And then there is God's revealed will, which is his scripture, the commands for us to obey. We see both of these ideas, the word will is not in this verse, but we see both of these ideas in Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, again, God's will is not mentioned here, but this is the idea that the Bible talks about God's will. There are secret things that belong to the Lord. Why do certain things happen? Why does God cause things to happen, allow things to happen? Why, uh, why does God do certain things? He doesn't tell us. These are the secret things, but there are things that God reveals to us like his law, his word, and those are the things that we are called to do, the scripture. So he reveals his will. We know he does not want us to steal because he has revealed that in scripture. We don't know why wildfires are burning up the West Coast. We don't know uh, the, the reason for all of that. So there are things that we don't understand. We don't understand why our grandfather has cancer. But we do understand that we are to praise God in all things as we are called to in Scripture. Here's another verse that talks about sort of the hidden will of God, the secret will of God. It's James 4, verses 13 through 16. Here James says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
So he's not saying you need to have, he's not saying it's sinful to have a business plan or to have a strategy that we're going to go over here and we're going to trade over here and we're going to make a profit. Uh, He's not saying that, that you can't have a plan. He's also not given some kind of hyper legalistic thing where you always have to say, if God wills, I don't know if, uh, if you're that person or if you've received an email from that person or a text from that person, hey, are we having lunch tomorrow? Is lunch still on? You know, Lord willing, and, and which is great, but if we say that like about everything, are you ready for dinner, Lord willing? Uh, you know, you know if, if it's, if it's not just a phrase we tack on to everything, but it's an attitude of the heart which says, hey, we're kind of making a plan, but the, the, we, but the Lord orders our steps, ultimately, the Scripture says. We don't know if we'll live till tomorrow. We don't know if the business will still be going tomorrow. We don't know that our contacts where we're going to go and trade and make a profit will even be there. So we make our plans, but we submit them all and say, Lord, your will be done. It's an attitude, a posture of heart, which says, this is what I'm supposed to do in my calling as far as I know, but Lord, I entrust it to you. It's an attitude of humility and trust in the plans of the Lord, which are not revealed to us. So the scripture says some things about work, but the scripture does not say what will happen a year from now in such and such a town. That's the secret will of the Lord. We don't know those things. So there are certain things that are secret things, and then there are certain things that are revealed things. His sovereign will not only includes what is secret with it we don't know, but it also includes his reasoning for things. Often something happens and we find ourselves asking, why is this happening? Why is this happening? You know, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. How would a good God allow this? But the scripture affirms to us throughout that God is good, and though his ways are mysterious, they are always good, and he always acts for the glory, his own glory, and for the ultimate good of his people. You know, when we think about it, your will be done. Now, I'm referring here to sort of his secret will. When we, when we pray, your will be done, his sovereign will, have your sovereign way, that's not only an appropriate posture of humility. You should say, if the Lord wills, you don't know what's going to happen a year from now, James 4. But it's not only an appropriate prayer for creature to pray to creator, it's also a smart prayer. It's just smart praying because God knows everything. God's will is always good. God's will is better than your will because God is perfect goodness. He is perfectly good and loving and gracious and merciful. His plans are perfect. My plans and your plans are not perfect. All of my plans are tainted in some way by my fallenness, by, which includes my sinfulness, my weakness, my ignorance, all of that. My best plans are tainted by my fallenness. God's plans are pure and righteous and perfect and not tainted with anything but glorious, righteous goodness. And so his plans for us are always good. He not only has good plans in his will, but he has the power to accomplish his will. So I can have a will that I can't accomplish, but he always accomplishes his will. Now, often in hindsight, we can look back and we can see, wow, 
God's will is better than ours. But it's hard to see that in the moment. It's hard to see that in a moment. I remember being in a small group one time. And uh, somebody asked this great question. Maybe you should ask this question. Uh, It's a getting to know you question. Maybe you should ask this question in your small group this week. But the person said this, looking back on your life, share one prayer request that you're glad God didn't answer. It's that college crush that you were just sure he was going to be your husband. You were just sure if you could get one date with her and you could, you know, meet her and she would see how wonderful you are, you would be married to her. And you prayed, God, may she be my wife. I know it. May he be my husband. And now you look back and you go, thank you, Lord. Or here's where it's really can be painful. This is some of you living through this right now. You're like, you pray for a job. It's the perfect job. You see the job description, and you know this is the one. I would nail this job. I'm qualified. I would love this job. It pays way more than my last job. Everything about it's wonderful. And you interview, and the, in the interview, they're, you know, you're just, they're almost saying, okay, it's yours. You, it's so going so great. And you're praying, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, give me this job. We need money. We're, we're struggling. You know, I'm out of work. And you, oh, Lord, give me this job. And they call back and say, I'm sorry. We're, we're going with another candidate. And the door slams in your face. That happened 10 years ago. And you look back and you go, I am so glad I didn't get that job. Because as soon as that door shut, I had no idea. But another door over here was going to open up for something that, was, that God wanted me to have that was so much better. Matter of fact, if I would have taken that job, I would have missed out on something else God had. In hindsight, we can look back and say, Lord, you know best. You know best. Right now, that's hard. But just look back. And thank God he didn't give you what you wanted back then because his will is better than our will. So when we pray, your will be done, we're praying with confidence. This is not resignation. Sometimes people think this is like, quesera, sera, whatever will be, will be. You know, yeah, it's prayer of resignation. Okay, whatever, your will be done. God, do what you want. You're going to do it anyway. And, you know, just go ahead and do it. I'll just live through it. There'll be grace to persevere through your old will in my life. That's how it's prayed sometimes. No, this is, God, you've got what's best for me. And I don't know what's best for me. Sometimes suffering is best for me. Sometimes not getting what I want is what's best for me. Sometimes a silent heaven is best for me. Because it draws me to God in a way that when all my prayers are answered instantaneously, I would never experience. Some people even warn against praying this way. I don't know if you know this, but some people think it's wrong to pray this prayer, which is shocking because, like, Jesus told us to pray this way. When I was in high school, this is an odd fact about my life. When I was in high high school, I got into prosperity theology, which is not a typical high school event. And, uh, I, there was one prosperity teacher who's actually still going, and uh, this is back in the days of cassette tapes, and I got excited, and I ordered 65 sermon tapes from this person, and, uh, and so I listened to them all. And here's what I learned in prosperity theology was I was taught, you do not pray if it be your will, especially in something like healing. 
You don't pray, Lord, heal this person if it be your will. Lord, according to your will, act in this person's life. Because if you pray that, that's doubt and unbelief, and that cancels the prayer. This is taught. That cancels the prayer. If you're praying for a blessing and you pray, if it be your will, you just showed you don't really trust God. Of course he always wants to bless you. Of course he always heals. And he does always heal. At the resurrection, everybody will be healed. But between now and then, everybody will die. God doesn't always heal. We are to pray for healing. And we're to pray by faith for healing. And we're to cry out for healing. But we're to entrust ourselves to a good God. The the idea in prosperity theology, it it is a lack of faith to pray if it be your will about a certain blessing, as if I am to, to you know, write my own story and have God endorse it. That would be a disaster. I want God to write my story. They would say it's a lack of faith to pray if it be your will. That is the essence of faith. The essence of faith is to say, you are good, O God, and I trust your will to me. Sometimes, like with Paul, Paul, God allows him to have a messenger of Satan, which buffets him, beats him up. And he says, Lord, get this messenger of Satan away from me. And God says, my grace is sufficient. And Paul rejoices because I experienced God through that, he would say. God's will is always best, and it doesn't cancel out faith. We can pray for things. You can pray for that job. You can pray and should pray for healing. James 5 says the elders of the church are to lay hands on the sick, to anoint them with oil. We do this. We pray for God's healing. But we entrust ourselves to a good God who knows best. It's both. Heal, we trust you. It's both. It's both. The will of God is also the revealed will of God. That is, the things he commands in Scripture. When God communicates his word to us in Scripture, we know his desire. We know his will. You don't have to pray about, I gave the example earlier of stealing. You don't have to pray about, should I steal this car? You don't need to pray about that. I will save you the time. The revealed will of God says the desire of God is that you work, you earn money, And you buy your own car and don't steal your neighbors and actually don't even desire your neighbors by coveting it, but you don't steal. So God gives us his word, and when we obey the scripture, we are doing the will of God. So look at uh, Psalm 143.10. Psalm 143.10 says this, Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Teach me to do your will doesn't mean peel back the curtain and show me the secret things, your sovereign will. Show me that and I'll do it. No. It means teach me to do what you've told me to do and let your good spirit, in essence, empower me on level ground to obey you. You know, First uh, Thessalonians 4 actually says, th- it tells us the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is your growth in holiness. That you not be sexually immor- immoral is what he says there. So this is the will of God. Don't commit sexual immorality. 
We know that is the will of God. So when we're asking for the will of God in the revealed sense, we're saying your will be done. We're asking like Psalm 143 here, we're asking for the Holy Spirit's power to obey God's word. We're asking for the Spirit to change us and to enable us to do what God has called us to do. We're asking God to help us do what he, his word calls us to do so that he'll be glorified. Now, the Heidelberg Catechism, we've looked at the Heidelberg Catechism a couple times in this series, but uh, the Heidelberg Catechism goes through the Lord's Prayer and asks questions and then gives answers. So, question and answer 124. If you've never read the Heidelberg Catechism, I highly recommend it. It covers way more than the Lord's Prayer, but this is just a section of it. And in it, uh, it asks, what does the third petition mean? Answer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, means help us and all people to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. I think this is a modernization because I don't think, I forget when it was written, 1600s. I I don't think that was a phrase. But uh, anyway, but it's still, still, this is the message version of the Heidelberg. Uh, Help us and all people to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Your will alone is good. That's an affirmation, friends. Your will alone is good. Help us one and all to carry out the work we are called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels of heaven. So your will be done. It's saying that we are to look to the will of God and trust him. And it's saying, Lord, help us to carry out all our various callings, not just to do them, but willfully embracing your will in the place you've placed us, in the, in the work you've placed us, in the activity you've placed us, in whatever you've called us to do. And faithfully, as the angels of heaven, when it says as in earth as it is in heaven, it means, Lord, help us to respond to your will like the angels of heaven. When God says, do this, the angels of heaven respond perfectly. So when we read the scripture, we're praying, God, help us to respond to your will. Okay, help us to carry out what we are called to do. This is a radical prayer. I mean, we can just breathe, breeze through it. Again, it's not wrong to read it through, but you read, you read it through in 25 seconds or whatever, however long it takes. You've got about three seconds on this. Your will be done. And we can skip over that without really thinking about, oh, I'm praying that, Lord, your word would be accomplished, and as one of your people, that I would do what you've called me to do. I'm to do it willingly, joyfully, to obey your word. J.I. Packer said, this prayer, your will be done, this prayer takes some praying. Takes some praying to pray this prayer. So here's what we're praying in the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. We're praying to obey his revealed will and to trust him in his sovereign will. We're praying to obey his word and to trust his works. We're praying trust and obey, for there's no other way, as the hymn says. That's what this prayer is. Your will be done. A simple way to think about it is this. God's will, God's will is what he commands and what he ordains. It's what he commands, that's the scripture. It's what he ordains, that's his sovereign will. Lord, your will be done. What you command, what you ordain. In other words, we're praying, Lord, help us to know what we know we're supposed to do and help us to trust you when we don't understand. 
Your will be done. Help me to follow you today, Lord. And sometimes this is harder. Help me to trust you when I don't understand. Actually, obeying God is frequently easier than trusting him when we don't like what is going on and when we don't understand what is going on in our lives. In both of those, when we don't understand, we're saying, I'm praying, pull me to your side. I can't do this, Lord. I can't obey your word. Pull me to your side. That's our prayer. Get us to your side. And because this is a corporate prayer, we're all praying this together. This is a weighty prayer. Obeying God's will and trusting him when we don't understand. If we are honest, we will say, I don't live out this prayer very well. I don't do well with obeying him in certain areas from the heart, willingly, joyfully, faithfully in all things, like the angels, which means perfection. I don't do real good at obeying God perfectly. My grammar's not real good either. I'm not real good at obeying God perfectly. I don't do real good. And I don't do real good at trusting God joyfully and completely. I fail at this request. If we look at this, we're going to be honest and say, we don't do this. But thankfully, somebody did do this. Jesus did this. Jesus did this. Jesus actually said in John, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. To do the will. Jesus said, why did I come? To do the will of God. The very reason Jesus came was because you and I don't pray this. We don't live this faithfully. And Jesus lived it flawlessly. I came to do what they could not do, obey your revealed will, and trust your sovereign will. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus not only gives us a model prayer, he lives it. He lives it as an example, but more importantly, he lives it in our place as a substitute. He not only gives the model prayer, but he answers it through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. You know, one of the most powerful prayers in all the Bible is Jesus praying at Gethsemane, the night before his death. And this is what he prays in Matthew 26. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What was the cup? He wasn't holding a cup. It was a picture It's a picture, we don't have time to develop it out, but it's a picture of an image from the Old Testament. It was the cup of God's judgment. The cup of God's wrath was a a picture from the Old Testament. And he said, as I uh, pray this cup, I wouldn't have to drink this cup. Which means not only dying an excruciating physical death in the cross and in all the torture and suffering that he went through, but dying an incomparable, indescribable death of absorbing the judgment of God, absorbing the wrath of God for our sins. So he prays, Lord, if there's any other way, I pray that another way would be open, but not my will, your will. He entrusts himself perfectly at the greatest cost to the will of his father. And he did that for us. We have failed to submit to the will of God, but thankfully Jesus submitted to the will of God 
and our sins are forgiven because he took judgment in our place. He died for us. Well, what was the will of God? Did, did the father say, I've got another plan? No. He, was, he, was, he died and absorbed the wrath of God. Isaiah 53, in the, in the prophecy of Jesus, this is what it says, prophesying Jesus. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to crush his own son on the cross. Not my will, but your will be done, Jesus says. What was the will of the Father? It was to pour out judgment on the Son he loves, to give up his own Son because of his love for you. We can be so thankful that Jesus prayed, not my will, and that God the Father's will was that his own Son die in our place as our substitute for our sins. Listen, we want to pray this prayer in integrity, regularly, with hearts that mean it. But let's be clear, our security today and our rest today is not on how well we pray this prayer, how well we obey the revealed will of God, how well we trust the sovereign will of God. It's based on the fact that Jesus obeyed in our place and that Jesus trusted perfectly in his Father's will. Our security is that we have placed ourselves by faith. We have been placed in Christ. He submitted to the Father's will. He paid the price so that now we are part of what God is doing on planet earth. We have been united to Christ. Our sins are forgiven, and now we are kingdom ambassadors, as we saw last week. His kingdom has come. He has transferred us from the dominion of darkness, translated us, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light, and he has given us a mission to walk out his purposes, to say, your, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life, Lord. Your will be done in my life that I might represent you as salt and light. Listen, if you are not a Christian, sometimes you hear something called maybe the sinner's prayer, which doesn't appear in Scripture, but it's an idea which just says, hey, a way, one way to acknowledge that you are bowing your knee before the Lord Jesus Christ, one way to acknowledge that you are trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, one way to do that is to pray, and you can express that to the Lord. I think this is as good a prayer, sinner's prayer, as anywhere in the Bible. It's, Lord, your will be done. I die to my will. That is, I am repenting of my sin, my way. Sin is fundamentally my will. It's living for my will, not your will. And I'm turning from that, and I'm saying, your will be done. I'm trusting what Jesus did for me, and I'm trusting him as the Savior who gave himself in my place, and I'm trusting him as the Lord overall. Your will, that's the prayer, Lord. Your will be done. If you've never trusted Christ, you don't pray this as a religious prayer. You pray this to come to Christ and believe in him for your salvation. Listen, we will all stand before God and give an account for our lives. And C.S. Lewis famously said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. On the day of judgment, there are only two kinds of people. There are those who say to God, thy will be done And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. You can have God say to you, your will be done. You have rejected Christ, your will be done. 
or you can trust Christ, turn and trust, repent and believe in Christ and say, your will be done and receive the free gift of eternal life. The free gift of of a clear conscience, the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, being joined to Christ, being a part of his kingdom, being given a purpose that you were created for, to honor God with your life. So you can pray now, your kingdom come. I mean, I'm sorry, your will be done, or, or then you can hear God say to you, your will be done. This, this request can feel daunting, but when we see it in the light of Jesus and his submission to the Father on our behalf, we can pray it with confidence. We can pray it with peace. We can pray it free from fear. We already know, if you know, well, if I entrust my life to God, what will he do with it? Well, God does whatever pleases him, the scripture says. You can just get pulled to his side and you can be a part of confidently trusting him, and there's a joy and a freedom that comes with that. If God is for us, Paul writes, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him give us all things? The promise of the Scripture is this. Jesus laid down his life for us by praying, not my will, but your will be done. And when you trust Christ, your life is built on that prayer, that life, that sacrifice of the Savior forever and ever and ever. And now you are free to pray, Lord, you have demonstrated your goodness. If you are for us, if you gave your son, how, how could you express that you are for us in any greater way? You can't. That's the greatest demonstration imaginable. You are for me. I can, I can boldly entrust myself to you for my family, for my health, for my future, for everything about my life, for my finances, for my relationships, for my emotional well-being. I can entrust my entire self to you, my safety, my future, our future as a church, our future as a nation. We can boldly entrust ourselves to you, for you are good. How do we know you are good? Because Jesus prayed, not my will but yours be done, and then followed it up through the cross and resurrection. This morning, we are going to close by receiving communion and just recognizing that the band will come, just recognizing what Jesus did for us. That we don't receive communion because we have done great in obeying the revealed will, because we've done great in trusting the hidden will, but because Jesus trusted his father and gave his life for us. It's that prayer of Christ that means everything to us and frees us to pray this prayer boldly. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.